0: which can be found in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, where I'll be reading verses 12 through 29. Once again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 29. If you don't have a Bible and would like to follow along with me, I encourage you to grab one of those red pew Bibles in in front of you. Once again, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is a gate, and broad is a road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is a gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning again. It's good to see everyone. Thank you, Kevin, for reading. Today's passage, well, I sincerely hope that all of your Christmases were good, that you had a good time with family, that it was a good restful time, although it probably doesn't feel very restful. I know many of you are running around going as uh, all sorts of houses throughout the week, so uh, yeah, like I said, Pastor Eric and his family, they're in Nebraska, they're visiting family and uh, they'll be back next week. Uh, and we are also, we are in Christmas tide. although today's message may not sound very Christmassy, may not seem tied to Advent at all, but uh, I assure you it actually is, uh, at least somewhat. And so uh, we want to keep in mind that Christ's arrival on earth was the beginning of the establishing of his kingdom on earth. And that's really what Advent is, is that we're now waiting for that to fully come into being. And so, uh, yeah. It, so if you think about it in that way, when Christ was born, the kingdom of heaven was introduced to the world. But what is the kingdom of God or heaven? Those are interchangeable, you, and you see it throughout scripture, but, but what even is that? What does it mean? Um, and that's the question I want to explore today, because perhaps we don't even think in these terms at all. Uh, you know, we, we don't spend time thinking about the kingdom of God or things. Um, evangelicalism, for whatever reason, I think, um, has been prone to talking about getting people to sort of punch their ticket to heaven. You know, I believe this, and therefore I'll get this, you know. Uh, I believe in God, and so now, now I will spend eternity with him. And the problem with that is not so much in, in, the, uh, in the words that are said, because that's true, if you believe in Jesus, then yes, you will spend eternity with him. But it's, but it's what's left unsaid. That actually becomes problematic because there's a lot more to it than that. You can't just say, Oh, yeah, no, I believe Jesus exists. We're good, you know. I, I'm set for life now. There's nothing else uh that is required of me. And so uh and so we get into this mindset of sort of thinking transactionally about our relationship with Jesus. You know, again, I, I got I did this, I did A, now I get B. And that's not really how Jesus or the apostles ever talk about salvation right they never say okay you know here's here's the list of things that you got to do and in our passage today we see some evidence uh, that Jesus really has another idea in mind and so when we talk about a saving faith you know when somebody becomes saved what we mean is that it is through faith that we will avoid ultimate condemnation when Jesus returns to judge the world and to eradicate sin we are indeed being spared or saved from something in this situation but that is not the whole story and that's where i think we sometimes run into issues because salvation reflects a status not a destination right it's not about necessarily where we're going but about who we are in christ and this status marks believers of having that particular relationship with christ that we trust in his righteousness and good works to sufficiently cover us on the day of judgment. So it isn't a destination, it is a reality. Okay, being saved is a reality, and with reality should come uh, a certain approach to life, one that should come naturally if it is real for us. So if a reality in your life is that you have eight children, you probably shouldn't have an expectation of having a quiet house. It's just probably not going to happen. I have two, and it's hard enough to get a quiet house uh, you know, if you care for animals on a farm, uh, you probably aren't going to get too many days off. And if you do, you got to, you know, set up a whole system. People got to come and take care of your animals for you. Um, uh, you know, I'm in school again this time, you know, uh, full-time job, uh, husband, father of two. Uh, I just don't have that much free time, uh, at least not what I used to have. So, uh, and so our realities, they, they, uh, they shape sort of our expectations, but, But it should also inform our ethics, our way of doing things. And so, uh, you know, the things that we do and why we do them. Being poor likely means that you're not going to spend lavishly. Uh, On the other hand, being rich means that you have a lot more freedom to spend your money how you want. Um, And so having a sick parent to care for will change what your life looks like. Experientially, if you've ever suffered a trauma... You tend to be more empathetic to those who are also suffering a trauma or some tragedy in their life. It's just what happens when we go through these things. Uh, Our experiences, they change our outlook on life. And it changes our priorities sometimes. And that changes how we approach life. Um, And so, uh, ultimately, it guides our daily decisions. You know, the things that we've gone through, the things that we think about. It, you know, it affects what we do on a daily basis. So the kingdom of heaven, then, is a reality that believers live in. The kingdom is not so much a place, but a way of living. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that heaven is metaphorical. Okay, uh, Heaven is a real place, uh, but our hope should be more about who we spend eternity with than where. Any place with Jesus is going to be pretty sweet, right? I mean, I mean, even if it were like the Cherry Valley landfill or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not, right? I mean, hopefully it's better than that. But but even if it were, right? Like, okay, Jesus is there. I think, I think hopefully we'd all be happy with that. Um, and so, and I also want to say too that that having hope in the new heavens in the new earth is not a wrong thing to have. In fact, it's good and proper for Christians to hope for. It is a magnificent and beautiful thing that God has promised to His children. And so we'd be fools not to hope for it. But Jesus and His work. That is the reason that that place is so magnificent and beautiful. And so we want to be careful that we're not elevating sort of the gift above giver. So the children of God are promised to spend eternity with Jesus. Ultimately, what that means is we will spend eternity here on earth after it has been remade upon Christ's second coming. And we will live in a real place as real people. But more important than that is what that place promises. And we will be physically resurrected, just as Jesus was, and we will live in a place where all sin has been judged and completely eradicated. Uh, And actually, uh, we're in Revelation, so I just want to read where this promise is. This is Revelation 21, 3 through 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying in pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So we have the promise there. But the earth and the heavens will be remade just as we ourselves were remade as new creations, free from sin and our grief. And what do you suppose living in a place like that even looks like? I mean, it's hard to fathom, right? I mean, a world without sin is just, I can't imagine it. Uh, But hard to or not understand, Uh, we better at least have the gist of it. Because this is what being a Christian means. And and that means that we live in that reality and, and with that hope and expectation. That we live as though the coming reality is already present. And that is the message that Jesus is preaching really throughout all the Gospels, but particularly here in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. As I said, our calling as Christians is to live out this reality of the kingdom. As we faithfully do so, people will see us living radically different lives from everyone else, and they will be drawn to it. Uh, it is described as an aroma. Now, some people don't like it certain aromas and and so you may be off-putting to certain people but but others will be drawn into it they're attracted to it and so they will want to know more and so getting a taste of this kingdom from saints like yourselves uh, who wouldn't want to spend eternity in a place like that filled with people like that that's our mission as christians now that's all a lot of context for today's passage but there's still a bit more to cover our passage today, as I alluded to, is part of the famous Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus. And earlier in this sermon, there are a lot of mind-blowing things that Jesus says. Uh, he's totally changing the way that people approach life and, and think about things. And so, uh, he uh, most of it can be summarized, though, as uh, that the kingdom will be full of people that you would least expect to see there. And uh, that being a part of the kingdom means that we live differently. And so uh, our external actions ought to reflect the inner truths, the inner realities uh, uh, within us. And so uh, which always should be seeking to love God and love others. That is what we do as Christians, hopefully. And this is why the Pharisees are frequently rebuked uh, by Jesus. is because they went around declaring that certain people were unfit for the kingdom. Oh, no, you know, you're a sinner. You can't be part of this. Uh, oh you're not clean you know you can't be part of this and jesus goes around and says actually (laughs) you know you're you're actually the one in trouble here Uh, and so they were also prone uh, to do pious acts without really uh, uh, meaning it in their hearts right Uh, and were therefore seeking to make themselves look good jesus is frequently calling them out for doing things that sounds very christian you know sounds very pious but Uh, you know the heart reflects something else you know and so uh and so yes jesus challenges them with that and so uh jesus he he takes us pretty far uh i mean radical even by today's standards i think uh, for people who are outside of the church uh i mean he would say stuff like adultery can be committed in the heart which is something that our world i think would not uh, not agree with uh they would struggle with that uh and that we should love our enemies and not seek retaliation uh you know people tell you all the time oh you know you should you should get even you know or, or get back at them you know or, or do something petty to just kind of you know work back at them and uh and he also taught us that being secretly pious uh or that we should be secretly pious and and not be seeking to uh boast at how spiritual we are uh and that we should examine ourselves before judging others And so that's where we are at with our passage today. Uh, Jesus starts to summarize and tie up the Sermon on the Mount. And so he starts with that famous golden rule. This is uh, Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Living in the kingdom means that we live for others regardless of how they treat us. It means that... uh, uh, that we are willing to lower ourselves for other people. And this is not a new thing that Jesus is preaching. In fact, uh, he says this is what the entire Hebrew Bible, okay, Genesis, all the way to Malachi, is about. That you can summarize it in such a way. And living in this way is difficult. But Jesus is saying that it is also necessary. If you're going to be a disciple of his, it is a difficult but necessary thing to lay down your life for others. And he continues on here uh, in verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He says that the kingdom, the path to the kingdom is narrow, but the path to destruction is wide and easy to enter through. Uh, i'm a lord of the rings fan so naturally i'm thinking of the black gate okay if you've not seen it it's been like 15 years so get on it uh but you know they need to get into mordor uh, to to take care of the ring and i'll try not to give away too much even though you've had your chance uh but they 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 go to the black gate and it's just this huge gate it's like the doorway you can just walk right in basically the problem is, is that there's a bunch of enemies guarding it. And so if you did just waltz in, you would find yourself in trouble. Uh, and that's, that's the point of that meme. You know, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Uh, and so <clears throat> uh, it would be suicide to just run on in. And so I think of this as Jesus is talking about this narrow path, or this wide path, rather, uh, is that it's very easy to take that path. You could do it, uh, but it leads to destruction, is what Jesus says. So instead, we have to take a difficult path. And bringing the metaphor to life, it is much easier to live for ourselves than for others or for God. It's much easier. However, living in those ways brings destruction to our lives, it harms others, and it brings destruction uh, to our lives both presently and in the future. And Jesus is... Frequently, I think, balancing sort of the now and the future in this sermon. He's, he's talking about a lot of these things, both in the present and what will come. You know, choosing to drink constantly uh, and to ignore your kids would likely destroy any chance that you have at having a good relationship with your kids, uh, you know, no matter how badly you want it. If you make certain decisions, it leads to destruction. You're going to harm uh, that relationship. Uh, if you never are willing to help out uh, the people around you, you know, that, that damages the relationship. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we know these things. We know that, that our, our decisions lead uh, sometimes to destructive consequences, and yet we still do it. And I don't, you know, there's something uh, innate within us, unfortunately, that, that we just do these things regardless. And I was thinking about we've got mice in our house, uh, actually one now, I think, uh, <laughs> hoping, uh, and I was, I was looking up traps and stuff because there are there a number of them. They're all, they've not like come out. They've all been like in our ceiling and walls and stuff. It's terrifying, uh, but we, uh, I was looking up different kinds of traps, you know, okay, what's, what's the best kind or whatever, and uh, I found one barbaric uh, device that uh, it's like, it's this triangular thing. And it's basically that three traps. You set the bait in the middle. And, uh, you know, a mouse would come in and, you know, clamp down on him, killing it. And, uh, you know, but I was like, so you do this three, but, you know, three times. But I was kind of like, wouldn't the mouse, like, you know, see the, you know, dead Jimmy over there and just be like, oh. You know, like run away. And uh, apparently not. Apparently they're actually... <laughs> apparently this trap... Is very effective because they're actually curious by what happened. So they go over, they'll inspect Jimmy's dead body, and they're like, "Oh, is that peanut butter I smell? Oh, this is great." Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We're we're very similar, I think, to that. You know, it, we see the destruction, we know what's going to happen, and yet we can't help ourselves sometimes. Uh, I also think of my brother. He uh, he's telling me a story. When he was younger, uh, he worked at a uh, beauty salon store, um, and he was the only male that worked there. It's not very surprising. Uh, now, he knew it was probably a bad idea, uh, <laughs> but he didn't realize how bad of an idea it was. But like over the course of like four or five months, he had dated like most of, the, of his coworkers. And so at some point, he was like, it was just unbearable to go to work. It was just <laughs> a mess, as you can imagine. Uh, of course, that brings destruction to your work environment. But this self-destruction is a reason that Jesus came in the first place. The narrow path to the kingdom is illuminated by Jesus and his teachings. In this world, we're told that in order to get ahead or to find happiness, that we need to take care of ourselves and do what feels good to us. And that general idea has probably always existed, although probably in certain Periods of history it's you know more prevalent than others but but i think that it's always been around and really ultimately isn't that what happened with adam and eve you know they distrusted god and they went with what they thought would please them most our sin is a rebellion against god the king i don't know that we necessarily think of god as king even though we just sang hymns about it but we, you know we don't think of it in that way but god is king and this is his kingdom and when we sin, we are in rebellion against him. And Jesus seeks to restore us by showing that the most blessed and happy life is the one that lives for God and others, embodying the kingdom principles that Jesus taught. Now we get a little uncomfortable. Uh, in verses 15 through 20, uh, Jesus warns his listeners that there are false teachers. And so here's what he says: "Beware of false prophets." These false teachers may say the right things. They may echo Jesus' teachings even. They'll wear sheep's clothes, but they are actually wolves, the very things that feed on sheep. The very things that pastors and, uh, are called to look out for, and we are also called to identify uh, the wolves among us. But if they look like sheep, but are actually wolves, how are we supposed to identify them? Jesus gives us a metaphor of trees bearing bad fruit or fruit that is unnatural. What happens to the tree that does not produce the desired fruit? what happens to the diseased tree? It gets cut down and cast into the fire. Uh, Diana's uncle is actually a tree doctor of sorts and that's part of his job. He'll, he'll go into a forest, a national forest and you know well, there's a the diseased tree. we got to take care of that. you don't? Know, think about it very long because there's a real danger there you know if it is allowed to spread then all these trees will die and so you take care of it and so Jesus says that those who have deceived others with a false gospel will be judged today we are surrounded uh, by all sorts of even uh, evangelists who preach a false gospel i specifically have in mind the sort of prosperity teachers uh, who target the ill the poor Or otherwise disenfranchised they tell people that if they only believe that jesus will bless them and their health and wealth and of course in order to prove that you really do believe you need to back that up with money you need to give to the preacher so that he can continue to go around and spread the good news which apparently is that jesus can be bought And so all of our troubles can go away so long as we're willing to part with our money. We need to put our money where our mouth is, according to these people. The problem with that, well, there are many problems. There are many terrible aspects to this. But, of course, the first thing is that it has nothing to do, their message has nothing to do with what Jesus has done in forgiving us our sins, defeating death, resurrecting from the earth. It's all about right now. And, And what can Jesus give me right now? But the other horrible parts of this are implicit within these sorts of statements is a guilting of people to give money that they don't have. And worse off, I think that they make promises on behalf of God that God never made himself. Jesus did not promise that you would never get sick. What did he promise? Well, John 16, says that you will have trouble in this world. That's what Jesus promises us. Not that we will avoid trouble in this world, but that we will have it. Pastor Eric has covered that topic uh, quite a bit, both last week and really over the last year or so. Uh, But, you know, Christians, we are called not to avoid suffering, but to rejoice in our sufferings and not to try and avoid it at all costs. Uh, It may very well be that God is calling us as disciples of Jesus to To suffer on his behalf and for his glory so that others might come to faith through that shame or through the suffering. And so as faithful disciples, we must be willing to do that as hard as it may be. And so shame on these people who talk a lot about Jesus but miss the entire point. Shame on those who intentionally preach the name of Jesus to line their pockets. But another terrible consequence from this sort of preaching is that they look at the evangelist, the people hearing this, uh, and, you know, often that person is extremely well-dressed, and they flaunt their wealth, and they look at that, and they think, did Jesus give you that? Did Jesus make you rich? Well, hot dog, sign me up. I want that, you know. Of course, uh, i just got to follow a few rules, and Jesus will make me rich, and all my problems will go away. Of course, I'll sign up for that. Of course, For those of you who are Christian, you know by your own experience that this is not what life is like. That's not how that works. And so, you know, whatever relationship they end up having with Jesus is one that is built not on the gospel, uh, but on some weird idea that Jesus will give them whatever they want. And all they have to do is press the right buttons. And Jesus is clear on what will happen to these preachers. They will be cast into the fire. Now, there's another sort of false teacher that I briefly want to talk about, and that is a false teacher who simply teaches bad theology, which I think is self-evident in the name false teacher, but but usually this happens because people are trying to make God more palatable. You know, there are some uncomfortable passages in scripture, like the one that I'm reading currently, uh, and so sometimes there are people out there who will try to soften the blow or will Uh, change things around so that oh jesus didn't really say that or you know oh god doesn't really think that Um, and so they they work around things to try and present a more tame jesus there are ancient heresies that have done this such as marcionism uh, which claimed that the god of the old testament is different than the god of the new Uh, you know but we have people today claiming that you know you shouldn't take the bible so literally you know you know you take the good parts and basically you know leave all the troublesome stuff out, try to live a good life based on based on what you read. Uh, there are others who claim that salvation can be obtained outside of Jesus that as long as you 're a good person and that you generally care about people that 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 is that is fine that 's all you need uh, and These are dangerous theologies because they undermine jesus 's teachings or sometimes try to add to them. You have some groups of Christians who will claim that In order to be saved, you must also speak in tongues or that you must be able to perform miracles or something like that. Uh, And Jesus says, you know, beware of these people. Now, to be clear, there is a difference between false teaching and just a difference of opinion. And the way to identify this is really ask the question, does what they're saying affect the way that I am saved? Does it affect Jesus and his work in my life? Because, especially in our circles, unfortunately, the Reformed tradition, uh, I feel like the false teacher label is too quickly cast out and applied to people. That Really, it's like, no, they just read the Bible a little differently than you and come to a different conclusion. Uh, And so, a lot of people, they'll they'll throw that label out there. Uh, You know, there are all sorts of churches out there. Uh, There's a lot of different beliefs out there. But... Most of us believe the same general thing. You can go on our web page and you'll see it's sort of the core doctrinal things you know the, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, stuff like that. so there's a lot of overlap between a lot of these churches and yes, there are distinctions between them and everything and they're worth considering but, uh, but it's not a false teacher if they just have a slightly different understanding of God and his work in your life. what what makes it a false teaching is when they start, Messing with how salvation works or what it does. And that's when we want to start being very careful around those people. So now Jesus, he goes even further here uh, in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That might be one of the things that some people will want to take out of scripture. Because it's uncomfortable, Jesus is saying this to people. Uh, and so Jesus says that there are many who are not where they think they are. When we talk about that path, you know, the narrow and the wide path. There are many who think that they're on the narrow path. And Jesus says they will be surprised. And the frightening part of this is that these are people who spoke in Jesus' name and performed supernatural acts acts in his name. And Jesus' response to those people is simply, go away. I never knew you. And that's challenging. Uh, But first, let's provide some context to try and make sense of this. Jesus is not saying that people who act in his name are going to necessarily be condemned, right? Of course, that's Outrageous, you know. What is a pastor uh, or or another minister of the gospel? You know, they are going to be doing things in Jesus's name, Um, and this is where uh, verse twenty-one really helps us because it gives us a specific person in mind. And that is, there are people out there who will do things in Jesus's name, but have not actually done the will of the Father. They have done things in Jesus's name, but they have not done the will of the father and so the person who is not living in relation with god and merely doing the things that they think god wants them to do uh, these are the people that need to feel the heat a little bit that okay uh you know maybe you're not living the way that you're supposed to be Um, uh, an analogy that came out of our high school group you know this is like the person who mops the floor when mom has asked them to sweep It's not that you're doing something bad necessarily, but it's not what you were asked to do. So, of course, you're being disobedient. That is an issue. And so these people, okay, the people Jesus has in mind are those who don't even care to find out what Jesus wants from them. They're just happy to do the things that they think he wants. And so they take charge and they do what they think is best. So now, there may be some of you who are startled by uh, these verses And I suspect that there are two groups. The first group is made up perhaps of people uh, who are startled because they recognize that Jesus is talking about them. And I can't say that I'm sorry that it startled you or gives you trouble because it might be the most important thing that you hear today. Jesus says, you know, go away. I never knew you. Your salvation is at stake. And if that uh, chastisement is going to be the thing that gets you, to rethink how you live your life, then that's a good thing. That's why Jesus said it in the first place. Your morality, you being a good person, it's still a long ways from where you need to be. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the other group that I suspect are a saintly bunch that struggle with their sinful flesh and coming to grips with the astounding mercy that God shows them. Saints, this warning is not for you. It's not a warning for those who still wrestle with their sins, who experience shortcomings or even instances of rebellion against God. If that is you today, you can rest assured because you are promised to endure, as we see in several places, but I'm going to read Hebrews 7:25 and Ephesians 1: 13 through14. first from Hebrews. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for all the Christians in the world. He is on your behalf or praying on your behalf. Ephesians 1:13 through 14 says, "In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Notice that language, okay? I can stand before you and assure you uh, that your salvation is secure because Scripture tells us. But also because it doesn't depend on us. And I think that's kind of the key. Uh, if maintaining our salvation was something that was left up to us, I think we probably have already lost it. That's just who we are. But God is making it so that we endure. And that is why we can hold firm to it. This is why Jesus is so precious. He stepped down into our world. He endured the worst of it, conquered it. He established his kingdom and dominion over everything once again. And now we wait for him to come back and to fully establish the kingdom with him sitting on the throne as king of the world. And that is our advent. You know, we're waiting for this thing to happen. And when it comes back, every single person that has ever lived will be judged. And by what standard will they be judged? Well, we all have to be perfect if we expect to live in an eternal life of perfection. And that presents a problem for us because I think it's pretty clear that none of us are perfect. And not even in like the cute ways, you know, it's not it goes far beyond being clumsy or, you know, disorganized or something like that. It goes far beyond that. We are deeply sinful, seeking our own will, often above all else. Everyone will stand before the father to be judged, all of us guilty. But Jesus steps in. Scripture tells us that Jesus righteousness for those who put our trust in that. His righteousness, his perfection becomes our own. As we see in 1 Corinthians one thirty. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ becomes those things for us. And so we will be judged worthy to enter this new kingdom on that day. Those of us who have put our trust in that, not because of our own good works, but because of Christ's good works. Christ steps in and takes um, or stands in for us and advocates for us. And so you saints uh, that struggle with the flesh, again, this is not for you. This, this warning uh, that, uh, of judgment here, this is for those who don't really know Jesus. merely are doing good things but have never actually entered into a relationship with him so rest easy god is working on your behalf now resting in that does not mean that we are not seeking righteous living and this is how jesus closes his sermon on the mount there's no such thing as a part-time disciple nor can one really call themselves an apprentice uh, if they never actually listen to their mentor You only get benefits if you work full time, right? Unless you work at Starbucks or something, but that diminishes my illustration, so we're going to ignore that. Uh, But having access to knowledge is one thing, but having applied it is quite another. You know, knowledge applied is what we call wisdom. And so the person who builds their house on sand has failed to apply the knowledge given by Jesus. As Jesus talks about here in the end. This is what I meant by the title of today's sermon. If you notice, the invisible-ish kingdom—it's that we don't know for sure who is in the kingdom. You know, it, there's not like a sensor that we can go around and you know, and beep it over Diana or something. And you know, if I get the right reading, okay, that's good. She's a Christian. Uh, but on the other hand, it is also true that it's not hundred percent invisible because Jesus says that we can tell by the fruits that people give. We can often see the knowledge that is applied in people's lives. And so we have all heard the words of Jesus today, and every time we read our Bibles and listen to sermons, uh, we've heard the words of Jesus. But we recognize that in order for us to have truly heard it, it necessarily means that you obey it, right? If you've ever been in a a conversation, usually heated or, or intense, you know, where somebody just says, like, you're not hearing me, doesn't mean that you didn't. You literally didn't hear the words, you know, enter your your ear canal. It means that you're not listening to what they have to say and and changing your life or your behavior because of it, right? And so in the same way, that is what God expects of us. The reasons that we are new creations who love God and seek to please him and that we are so transformed by the way the kingdom of heaven operates that we can't help but try to embody that in our lives. The benefits of obeying God are demonstrated in this passage. Life will rage on, and with it, destruction. This damage might be caused by our own hands, we've talked about, our own sin. And in this case, Jesus, I think, is saying that, you know, by trusting and obeying in him, uh, that we actually minimize the damage done to us and by ourselves. Uh, and it allows us to stand firm and to sort of rebuild We learn from it, and we move on. However, the storm may also represent the damage that others have inflicted upon us, or just the things that happen in life. Uh, You know, the lost family member, the financial ruin, the unsalvageable relationship. You know, these are difficult things that life brings on us. But we've been talking about the kingdom as a reality, and salvation as a way of life, informed by the life and promises of Christ, and as painful and as world-shattering as things can be in life, the house built on rock is built on something eternal that endures even the roughest of storms. And so that is why we want to apply that. We want to build our, our homes on the foundation of stone. Now that's one application of the passage today, but the main one refers again to the judgment coming. Jesus' main point is that no matter what you do in life, if it is built on anything other than Christ, it will perish in the final judgment. That's really the, the storm imagery there, is the, the day of judgment coming. You know, how will you resist that terrible, terrible storm? It's going to be through Christ, by having built your foundation on him. Hearing his words means that we obey his words. His words are salvation. They speak truth into our lives, and the more, that we, uh, the more truth that we have, the, more, um, the, more, uh, the deeper the understanding of the reality in Christ is. And the more we live into that reality, the more the kingdom is embodied in us. And this is what it means to be a light to the world. Jesus talks about that earlier in this sermon. Others are invited to the kingdom, catching a glimpse of it through our lives is another reason why you can't be part-time because there's always people watching you and if they are seeing Christ in you, then you want to always be living for Christ your actions matter, God knows your heart, and we can't escape his judgment the Sermon on the Mount challenges us to embody the kingdom and to live out the reality of it in every arena of our lives you can't just be a Christian at church, I think we know that can't just be a christian at home maybe you know that but it means that you go to work it means that you uh you go to the grocery store as you do your daily uh chores uh, whatever it may be you're doing that as a christian as one who's living in the kingdom because we're supposed to live out the reality as i said we do so trusting that the kingdom will one day be fully installed and the perfection that comes with it We need to live today as though we are already in eternity. Because that's what Jesus is calling us to in this passage. He's saying that it's here. It's here. It's not fully here. Jesus will come back and he will fully install it. But the kingdom is here because there are believers today that live it out. And the world sees it and benefits from it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you are good and loving God, that you care for us, that you love us, that you sent your son to show us what the kingdom is like. Father, we pray. uh, First, we confess that we do not live up to this, that we fail to live up to the standards that Christ has set before us, that even though he has shown us what the kingdom looks like and what it means to live in it, that we don't do it forgive us for that and we pray for your Holy Spirit to uh, to empower us to live spiritually uh, to live in a way that's as cognizant and and aware of the kingdom and the realities that that brings pray all these things in your name amen